0: Thank you, John and Trini. Someone asked me one time, "Why in your church?" Because in our church, when they're busy, so you better there we go. In our church, when someone sings a beautiful song like that, we all burst out into applause. But we come to your church, and you don't you don't break out into applause. Why is that? Let me share with you, and this is also the philosophy of our new general conference president. When you applaud, it is paying honor and respect for the talent of that individual. But if you say amen, it's thanking God for giving that person the talent to be able to share. I would rather praise God for what music we just heard here today by saying amen, wouldn't you? It's not the creature, it's the creator that we worship and that gives us all talents. Well, we've been looking in the book of Revelation, said in the last days... The Laodicean church is the church that will be in existence before Jesus comes, the second coming. I believe the second coming of Jesus is very soon. But a special message went to that Laodicean church, and that message was I know your works. You can't hide anything from God. I know your works, and you're neither hot nor cold. I wish, he said that you were hot or cold. But since you're neither hot nor cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. Man, that is a tough message. To his last day church. To what would be called the remnant. I'm going to spew you out of my body. His body in the New Testament is the church. I'm going to spew you out of the church. We've looked at statements that said like 1 in 10 or 1 in 20 would not be ready when Jesus comes from within the church. And that's not good statistics. We've looked at some statements that have said not 1 in 100 understands righteousness by faith. Not 1 in 100. And yet that's how we're saved. So it's important to take a look at some of these things to prepare us for the coming of Jesus so we won't be spewed out of the body of Christ. And one of the areas that we have to look at is an unforgotten law. You know, sometimes when we're driving, especially if we go into another country, their laws can be confusing. No wonder it says underneath good luck. How do you know where to go? And then after you get there, how do you know you're on the right way? And sometimes that's true within the church is that we hear, you got to go this way, you got to go that way, you got to go this way. How do you know which is the right way to go? Or you can run across a sign like this can't turn left, can't turn right, can't go backwards, and can't go forwards. So whatever I do, I'm breaking the law. Which way can I go to get out without getting into trouble? And people are asking that within the church today. We've got a great controversy that's going on, happening between Christ and Satan, and it's over control of your mind. Who are you going to choose to follow? Joshua puts it very clearly choose you this day whom you will serve. And then he added, As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Everyone has to make a choice. So there's this mind battle that's taking place between good and evil. And where am I going to go? And we've been talking about it's more than just physically keeping a law. We're talking about this actual choosing, this, this mind control and choosing which way I want to spend my life. And it has something to do, the revelation of it has something to do with works because Jesus says, I know your works. You're not hot or cold. We're just kind of in between because we don't know where to go. But he wants us to either be hot or cold. If I'm I'm cold with the church, I can be won over. If I'm hot with the church, look out. The power of God is with me. We want to look at Romans 8. Romans 8, verses 5 and 6. Look what it says. Romans 8. I know we're studying Romans in Sabbath school. That's good. I'll just give you a head start before you get there. Romans 8, verses 5 and 6. For those... Who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I'm either going to be spiritually minded or I'm going to be carnally minded. No in between. And so the balance is there. And it's going to tip one way or the other. And it's my choice. If I am carnally minded, Romans says it leads to death, eternal death. If I choose to be tipped over to be spiritually minded, that means I have eternal life. And it's determined by Whomever I allow to control my mind. We don't like this word mind control. It it almost sounds satanic. But it is true. Where is my thoughts, my major thoughts going to be? Is it going to be on Christ and the spiritual things? Or is it going to be on carnal things? But What does this have to do with the law? And, and by the way, pastor, I must be spiritually minded because I believe in Jesus as the Lord. Yeah, you know, remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. We might think that he's the Lord. We might fool ourselves in thinking that we're heading in the right direction. But he says, Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, well, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. To do the will of the Father, means I have to make up my mind whether I will even want to do His will or not. Look what Jesus said about Himself. He's supposed to be our example. Look what Jesus said in John 5 verse 30. Jesus said, I can of of Myself do what? Nothing. Notice what Jesus emptied. His own self-control. He says of myself, I can do nothing as I hear, I judge and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own but the will of the Father who sent me. Jesus is saying that it's necessary to set aside your own will and to do the will of the Father. It's a choice that takes place in the mind. Notice two things. Jesus says by himself. Jesus refused to do anything. And Jesus will not seek his own will, but the will of his Father. So here's the $64,000 question. And that ages me, if you know what I'm talking about. What is the will of the Father? I have a lot of people ask me that. What is the will of the Father? Let's go to 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Look what it says, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 4. Finally then, brethren and sisters, I'll include you too, ladies. We urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments We gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God, your sanctification and honor. There's that big word Trouty talked about. The will of God has something to do with the commandments of Jesus and it has something to do with sanctification. We've often heard the words of Jesus when he said, If you love me, keep my commandments. A few Sabbaths ago, we established that the word commandments in the Bible means more than just the Ten Commandments. The word commandments means all the teachings of God. The law of God is not something to be avoided like so many people in the world today say, that it's... To be avoided because we nailed it to the cross, or it was nailed to the cross when Jesus died. You're not to avoid it, but it's something that we need to take a look at. Look at Romans 7, verse 12. Notice the descriptions of the law. This is specifically talking about the Ten Commandments. Therefore, the law is what? Holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good there's nothing bad about the law it's good it's holy it's holy just like God is holy it is the law that God keeps in heaven it's the law that Jesus kept when he was here on this earth so if the law is so good Why can't I just keep the law and be saved? Well, the old Apostle Paul, he gives an illustration from his own experience to the Romans. Romans 7 verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but... I am carnal, sold under sin. He's saying that that law is spiritual. Why? Because it comes from God. It's holy, it's spiritual, it's good. But Paul says of himself, and he's just speaking about himself in this letter, he says, I'm carnal. Do you know what it means in the dictionary when you look up the word Carnal. It means to be controlled by the senses and passions of the body and mind. Something else is controlling my mind. When I am carnal, something else is in control. So Paul tells us what that means. Now, keep in mind, he is talking about himself after his conversion. Not before. He's talking about after that experience on the road to Damascus when, when uh, he was blinded by the light and this voice came out of nowhere and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know that experience. So th- he's talking about after that experience. And here's what Paul says about himself. Romans 7.15 For what I am doing I do not understand. It's confusing in his mind. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Here's what's going on in the mind of Paul. He's saying in his mind, he's saying, I want to do or keep the law of God. I know it's holy, I know it's good, I know it's important. I know it comes from God. That's my greatest desire. Because I know this is what Jesus wants me to do. But something happens in my mind. I can't explain it. I don't fully understand it. I desire to keep the law. But I can't keep it. Because of the law, I know what is wrong. But that's, even though I know it's wrong, that's what I seem to be, end up doing. Even though I hate doing it, something up here is controlling my mind, is, is bypassing what I consciously want to do. I consciously want to follow the law, but something up here is wired and I, and I can't explain it. I'm not a neurosurgeon. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not any of those things. All I know is something is, is bypassing what I want to do and I end up doing what I don't want to do. The very thing I don't want to do that I know is wrong in the eyes of God, that's what's happening to me. And you know what? It happens to us. It happens in our own minds. Romans 2.15 says in in my mind I, I make excuses for what I'm doing wrong. We tend to do that. We talked about it in our Sabbath school class. I do something wrong... Instead of, I I want to change, but if I can't change because it just keeps popping up, then I make an excuse for why it's okay to do it. I was born that way was one of the things that they said in my Sabbath school. I was born that way, so I can't help myself. Well, that's limiting God, because if I was born that way and born in sin, and if God can't help me because I was born that way, then He can't save me. That's a poor excuse. But we make these excuses. Romans 7, verse 23. But Paul says what I do is I see another law in my members that's warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. So the inability to keep God's good and holy law is because of another law that's working in our minds and he calls it the law of sin. The law this law of sin is controlling controlling the things that I want to do, but it's, it's somehow it's coming from my senses since I'm a carnal person, it's coming from my senses and my passions. And it's it's in there and it's bypassing what I consciously want to do. Does that make sense? So there's two laws. Here's God's law and I and I want to do this and I make up my mind I want to do this. But then Paul says, When I want to do this, he says there's something, another law that's in my mind that has to do with my my passions and my senses and And this subconscious thing just overrides that and I do exactly the opposite. And it just comes out automatically. I want to stop something and I just can't seem to do it. It seems to be just programmed in me and it just keeps going on and on and I can't stop it. And since I can't stop it, then I have to make up an excuse for why I'm doing it. Because I don't want to look bad to the church and look bad to God. Romans 7, 21, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. I want to do good. I want to follow God's law. But there is this other law, this law that is evil that's present within my mind, short circuits all the good out. Something overrides our will, keeping us captive to sin. You know what it's like if if you are trying to stop some type of, of sinful act within your life. You really want to quit and you try and you try and you work hard. And then all of a sudden something comes up and boom, you just go right back into it. Trying to keep the law of God is not strong enough to break the control of the law of sin in the mind. That's what Paul is saying. So Paul pleads then. This is his prayer. He says, Oh, wretched person that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? And that's when there's another law. I call it the forgotten law that comes into play. It's a law that many times, because it's forgotten, you and I don't tap into this law. And it's the law that's going to change us to become more like Christ, more in tune with Him, more stronger to be able to keep His holy law. I try to do it on my own and I fall flat on my face. But he says you can't do it because there's a law. The law of physics, you can't change the law of physics. It's there. So this is like the law of gravity. You can't change the law of gravity. But he says there's another law. Call it the law of flight if you want to. Because if I want to surpass the law of gravity, you learn how to fly. So I go down to Southwest Airlines and I buy a ticket and I fly. So this forgotten law. A third law, which has something to do with the text we originally read. Let's go back and look at it again. Finally, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us, how you ought to walk and to please God, for you know what commandments, that's what I want to do, we have given you through the Lord Jesus Christ, for this is the will of God, here's the will of God, Your sanctification and honor. There's that big word again, sanctification. Sanctification simply means to make holy. Does God want us to be made holy? That's His will. And we're saying, that's what I've been trying to do, that's the problem. We've been trying to do it on our own power. And there's this other law that's working in our mind that's messing it up. The same word was used back in the Garden of Eden at creation. Genesis 2 verse 3. God blessed the seventh day and what did he do to it? Who sanctified it? It's God. If I am to be sanctified, who's the one that's ultimately going to have to do it? It's God, not me. See, I've been trying to do it. I've been consciously saying, This is what I want to do. I really want to try it. I've got to change these things. I've got to stop these things in my life. These things are wrong. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. Whoops! I did it again. It's God that sanctifies us. And that's where we come back to this forgotten law. Look at Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. Look at this very carefully. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The flesh was carnal. Remember, we looked at that. So somehow there's got to be a change where I no longer walk as a a carnal person, but I begin to walk according to the Spirit. For the law of the what? Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin. What's going to set me free? The law of the Spirit. It's another law. I, of my own self as a human being, cannot break the law that controls me. But there is a law of the Spirit that comes from heaven that can. It's the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin He condemned sin in the flesh When did Jesus condemn sin in the flesh? Well, on the cross that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I have to learn to walk in the footsteps of the Spirit, the law of the Spirit that's going to help me to overcome. I'm not to walk according to the flesh, which is carnal, that controls my mind through my sinful senses and passions. The law of the Spirit is what's going to set me free from the carnal law of sin and death, that now controls me. So, Jesus in His life condemned sin on the cross. I have life through Jesus Christ. But that, what, if I have eternal life, that's there. But now there's this problem. I've got eternal life over here. I've got it through Jesus. It didn't come from me. It's through Him because He died on the cross. He paid the penalty for sin. He, he took upon Himself this, my sins, your sins, everybody's sin. And the wages of sin is death, and Jesus died. And He gives to us the gift of eternal life. Okay, I've got life in Jesus. He who has a Son has life. Does that make sense? I've got eternal life, but I've got a problem. I've got eternal life, but I'm still under the control of my mind of this law of sin. And I keep falling on my face. I want, because I love Jesus, I want to keep the commandments, but I keep failing, failing, failing. Failing Now, it doesn't have anything to do with eternal life. I have that in Jesus. But He says, look, what I want to do is I want to help you to become sanctified, to become holy. I'm going to make you holy, but it's going to take time. It's going to take bits and pieces. You still have eternal life, but I'm going to help you to change. Now, the reason why it takes time is because we are so ingrained in this law of sin, that if we were to change instantaneously into the perfect law of Christ and to follow after Him, the change would be so drastic we couldn't take it. We'd fight it. we fight it now. And so he's got, he says, I'm going to do it. I know your life. I understand what you like. I know the circumstances. So I'm going to lead you through life. Don't worry about eternal life. you got eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But what I'm going to do is every day I'm going to set up situations in your life. If you choose to follow me, if you choose to follow the Spirit that I've given to you, I'm going to set up situations in your life today that's going to help you begin to change into a sanctified life. I'm going to give to you the power of the Holy Spirit that is going to help you to overcome, override, to gain power over the the law of sin that has been controlling your, your mind, has been controlling everybody's minds since sin entered into this world in the Garden of Eden. Romans 8, 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God... These are the sons, and I added the daughters too, ladies. These are the sons and the daughters of God. If I am willing to be led by the
1: Spirit,
0: it's not by what I do, but it's whether I'm going to lead and let the Spirit do whatever needs to take place in me one day at a time or have eternal life through Jesus Christ, my Lord. But I've got to, if I love Jesus, I've got to begin to, be, to live this sanctified life, and then I can only do it through the Spirit. There's two principles in doing this. The first one is our part. I have to establish mental discipline. Now, what does that mean? Mental discipline. Romans 8 verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Here's my choice. I am in control of what I focus on. If I begin to focus on the spiritual, which is what I need to do, I will become spiritual. I'll become sanctified. I'm I'm walking with the Spirit. But if I allow my mind to continually focus on the carnal things around me, and this world is full of sinful things, whatever I look at whatever I participate in, whatever I think about, I'm going to do it. So I have to begin to develop a mental discipline. We practice this in the workforce. If you are in charge of of some type of a job or work and you're in charge of people within there, when they come in that day, you want them to focus on work, don't you? You don't want them to focus on anything else. That's why they, they tell you, you know, I don't want you to bring up the Internet while you're here at work and go on all those weird things. You've got to focus on what we're focused on in work. You've got to set your mind. You've got to begin to develop habits. So when you come into the work, you do the work, And that becomes a habit and you're going to go through it. Let me give you an example. Well, first, let's go to Proverbs 23, 7. It says, For as he thinks in his heart... Now, remember, back in those days, they didn't have anatomy and physiology. And when they talk about the heart, they're talking about the mind. It just slipped down. For as he thinks in his mind, so is he. So, does that make sense? If I focus a lot of my time thinking negative, bad, looking at, watching terrible things, guess what's going to happen? That's going to be a part of me. It's going to become a habit that that goes into the subconscious and I'm going to do it. Luke 6, verse 45. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart, that's his mind again, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart of the mind, his mouth speaks. So whatever my mind is thinking about and making a part of my life, then that's what I'm going to talk about, that's where my actions are going to be, that's what I'm going to be focused upon. Does that make sense? Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove... What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? So, what I've got to do is I've got to begin to first consciously focus on a new way of life and begin to make it a habit. Let me give you an example. When you learned how to tie your shoe when you were young. Look how concentrated this little boy is with his tongue sticking out and everything. He's thinking about every move. Let's see. I've got to flip this around here, and I've got to stick this through here, and I've got to pull on these. And then they don't get it very tight, and they got to retie it a little bit later on. But they're trying, and they keep trying, and they keep trying, until finally, when you are an adult, you just subconsciously say, while you're talking to someone, your shoe's untied, you reach down, you don't even look at your shoes, you reach down and you tie them. Why? Because subconsciously you know how to do it. It's become a habit. And you, don't even, you can do many other things and you don't even think about it. We have to begin to visualize which direction we're going to go. I have to begin to visualize myself as to what Christ wants me to become. I, it, it goes from the conscious then and then becomes a part of my subconscious. How does Christ want me to live here on this earth? And I've got to visualize that. Let me give you an example. There was a basketball coach in high school that had problems with his team shooting free throws standing there and, and shooting up and making the basket. So, because it was a small high school, he didn't have very many basketballs to do a lot of practice. So what he did was he split the team up into two groups. And he told the one group, what I want you to do is take the basketballs that we have and I want you to go out and I want you to stand there and all you do is practice free throws over and over and over again. Because practice makes perfect. And so they went out and they practiced and they practiced and they practiced and they practiced. The other group, because he didn't have enough basketballs, he says, what I want you to do is I want you to sit over on the sideline and I want you to visualize yourself shooting baskets using perfect form. So in their mind, they're sitting off the side. They're not shooting any basketballs at all. They're just seeing themselves going up to the line. They're closing their eyes. They're seeing themselves going up. They see themselves the way they dribble it for a little bit, and then they take and how they hold the ball and what they're going to do to be able to shoot it. And they watch it go up, and they watch it go into the basket, and yay, they're winners. Never once do they shoot the basketball. Guess who made the most baskets at the next game? The visualize. Do you know why? The ones who tried to practice on their own, when they were shooting the baskets and couldn't make it, it was because of some mistake that they were doing. But when they were practicing and shooting, they kept making the same mistakes. Those who were visualizing... The coach had said, picture yourself doing it perfectly. How I would want you to do it. How you would stand. What you, how you would hold the ball. And, and what you would do in order to shoot it and make it in. And they began to put in their mind, they would see themselves as a perfect basketball player. And they shot the basket perfectly. Brothers and sisters. Before God can do His work, I've got to visualize myself not as a lost sinner that can't do anything right, as a failure, but I've got to see myself as one who has victory over sin because of Jesus Christ. I've got to see myself as being a called one of God. I've got to see myself as one who leads a perfect life just like Jesus led a perfect life. I have to pick up my Bible and I have to read. What is it that that the life was that Jesus led that He wants us to lead? I've got to begin to read about that. Visualize that in my mind. Meditate on it. It's that mental discipline that I've got to do. If I've got to shut off the TV, shut off the TV. If I've got to get off the internet and quit watching pornography, I've got to get off the internet. Remember, if I keep doing those things, that's going to subconsciously get in my brain and I'm going to keep doing it. So it's doing my part. I've got to visualize myself as being perfect in Christ. So the two principles. First, I've got to use the mental discipline. When I begin to do that, now that allows the Spirit, the law of Christ to come in. And we're going to see what the second one is next week. But in the meantime, let's turn in our hymnals to hymn number 266 and sing Spirit of God. Because that's who we want to control our lives. Hymn number 266. Should we stand?
1: out the
0: Unforgotten law, the law of the Spirit We're going to go forth today Visualizing ourselves as being perfect in Jesus Christ We're going to go and realize Even though we don't see or feel the Spirit That the Spirit of Christ has promised never to leave us nor forsake us We want to visualize ourselves as victorious over the battles of sin and that our mind, we're going to begin to fill it with the good and not the bad. Lord, we make a position right now. No matter what, we are going to follow you for there is only eternal life in your life, not in ours. We pray this in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.